Hello and welcome everybody to Flickr Effect, episode 339 of the podcast. We are broadcasting live and recording on Sunday, August 9th, 2020. I'm David Lotz. Joining me as always is Bobby Jackson. Hey everybody. Happy Sunday. How's it going? And Michelle Hillard. Hi everybody. Hello. And uh, Yasha will be here eventually, hopefully. Uh, he couldn't join us, at least for the beginning of the show. He might be joining us later. Uh, we will hopefully see his face uh, in a little bit. In a little bit. That's all I got. <laughs> uh, this week, we've got uh, mainly just a lot of stuff to talk about that we've watched lately. Uh, An American Pickle, uh, The Rental, Michelle finally watched Interstellar. <laughs> I watched it for a second time. I actually only ever saw it one time. Oh. So I ended up watching that again. We'll share our thoughts on that. Plenty of other stuff. Um, but uh, how's it going, guys? What's new? How's life? Oh, yeah, no. Just living the dream in a pandemic world. Yep. That's, that's, about, right. that's about the norm. Same old, same old. <laughs> same old, yeah, same exactly. Basically. It's about the norm. Uh, Not too much different. So, Bobby, you watched, uh, let's start off, you watched uh, with Amer- An American Pickle. I'm, I'm curious. Uh, you want to start there, huh? Yeah, why not? Okay. I mean, unless you want to start somewhere else, man. You no, uh, that's fine. I don't mind starting with that. Uh, I didn't have any particular order. Uh, but yeah, American Pickle, it's a Seth Rogen new movie that I believe it was made and then picked up for distribution by HBO Max. It, I think it probably had a possibility of going to theaters first, but it all happened pretty quickly around the time that there was the pandemic. So I think um, maybe even before someone had a chance to even snatch it up and put it to distribution, it was just automatically snatched up by one of the streamers. I don't even know if there was, um, I don't recall if there was any kind of bidding war for it or anything like that. But for the most part, um, yeah, it seemed like it was a premiere movie going to HBO Max and, uh, unless you know of any other one, David or Michelle, this is kind of like the first one that I can think of that's like a, a big kind of picture for the the streaming service that's an original film. Um, the the only other one I can think of, well, no, no, I can't think of any other one. But this one is like, for me, um, I'm trying to think of how Seth Rogen's other films have been for me in his filmography. For the most part, I think I enjoy Seth Rogen films. And at this point, it's almost like he doesn't even really need to make films because he has his hands in so many other projects that he produces that he could probably just live off of the money that he's doing for producing <laughs> different things. And yet, so he still is acting and, and does things like this. I, I guess the last movie I remember, I remember seeing him in, can't think of the name of it, but the one with uh, Charlie's Theron with uh, them being the, uh, she was oh, running for yeah. president and he was like the person she met or she knew back way back when or something like that. Forget what that one's called, but um, that was the last movie I saw him in. And I would say this is for me, similar to that, in that uh, there's a, a nice warmth to the story that goes beyond just the the um, the humor. Uh, the humor, a lot of times in this one, is, I wouldn't say hit or miss, because I think most of it landed just fine. But um, I think that the way it starts off, and for those who don't know, the premise is that uh, 
Seth Rogen is playing two parts. He's playing a, a person named Herschel. I forget the last name, but he is Greenbaum or some uh, something like that. But he goes into the past, or he's in the past, and uh, through an accident, he gets basically has the whole um, frozen in time kind of aspect happen to him, where uh, he goes into the future based on the fact that he kind of got captured in this uh, pickle vat mm-hmm. <laughs> consider for a movie but it's it's just kind of like okay grasp onto that being the the catalyst and then just go from there because even in the movie when they explain how the process works it's just it's just like just go with this kind of thing <laughs> even in the in the movie um but i think the most the best parts of this movie lie within um, Seth Rogen as his current self and then the the Seth Rogen from the past. And when they are having conversations on screen, that's where the real heart of the movie is. And really, when Seth is playing the, the past version of the character or, or of, the, of the older generation character, it's honestly some of the best that i think i've ever seen seth rogan because i forget sometimes as i'm watching it that it's seth rogan um because he plays that other character so well he feels very distinctly different than the current version uh, of seth rogan and um i keep saying versions but they're they're completely different people but you know they look essentially the same so that's kind of why i keep saying versions but no they're completely different characters but uh yeah and and then i think towards the middle it kind of goes into a place where it, it gets off the rails a little bit for me and and kind of goes in directions where i'm like wow that's just kind of this is all over the place at this point but it, it brings it back around and for the i would say in all honesty this feels like that i can remember maybe one of the first um family-friendly Seth Rogen films I saw. I don't recall there being much cursing, if any. And Mm. there was no, like, lewdness or anything really, uh, you know, in Seth Rogen's normal wheelhouse in terms of some of the movies he's done in the past. But, yeah, it just was like a a nice, easy, breezy kind of film. And I think that uh, it's a solid film for his... Uh, filmography and something that people should check out because it's it's as as i would put it harmless it it doesn't it's not going to leave a lasting impression but it's it's a solid watch for the runtime that it is i don't remember how long it is but it's a solid movie all right uh that's an american pickle on hbo max yeah as you mentioned i don't i can't think of another original feature length thing feature length film over on the service um, but yeah, I'm curious. I've been curious about it. Uh, with that, uh, I'd like to welcome Yasha Wilson. You got, you arrived a lot sooner than I expected. You were here. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Yes, I, I, I did arrive. I did arrive a lot sooner than I expected as well. As soon as I sent that text message, I was uh, freed up and I was able to, uh, jump on the call. So I nice. apologize for being late everybody, but it's great to see everyone. No worries. Welcome. Uh, the, gang, the gang's all here. 
with that, uh, Bobby, while you're at it, anything else you wanted to talk about or what did you want to talk about next, I should say? Well, I'll talk about something that uh, Yasha might be able to chime in on. I, I got a chance to watch the this Netflix docu-series that's pretty short, honestly. I think it was maybe three episodes, all about an hour or so long, which is called uh, Fear City, New York's, New York versus the Mafia. And it, it tells the story of uh, the Mafia families that were running New York, basically, for the time during the 70s and 80s, and how uh, the FBI was eventually able to bring them down. And it's such a compelling story just because it's dealing with real life. And you can see how this story and how they were taken down uh, plays out in modern pop culture in terms of films and TV shows where they get influences from because uh, there's so much going on in this and the stakes are high. But at the same time, especially when you're watching it, you almost don't get the sense in certain ways of how high the stakes are because there was a lot of arrogance on the part of the mafia because of how well they were running things and how deeply ingrained in the the normal ecosystem of the city because they had legit businesses but they were still using those legit businesses in ways that could help uh, benefit them and in their drug game essentially so it's it's really kind of like they already knew FBI was on them and tailing them and different things, but they just didn't really, I wouldn't say they didn't care per se, but it was like they just felt untouchable and that they was never going to be anything to bring them down because to bring them down would bring down a whole economy because of how much they had their hands in. So uh, it, it's such an interesting story and, and, and a tale and, and the way that they uh, talk about these five families. I think there's five families that, that they talk about in in the, the series, but I enjoyed it. I thought it was pretty good and it gave me a perspective that, that I never had before based on uh, the mafia and, and how well they were seeming to run things for quite some time back in New York City. And Yasha, you also saw this, right? What were your thoughts on it? I did. I did. Um, Bobby pretty much laid it out there pretty um, concisely there. it's It really does give you an insight as to how ingrained in society these um, these people really were and how much they really did control. Mentioning briefly, and you know, I think it was very touching on it just a little bit with the whole Trump being a real estate developer in New York. I mean, they, they did it, but enough to not make it be slander that he was really involved in the payoffs and everything that the city um, really was slave to whatever they wanted and however they wanted to go ahead and proceed with things. I took an interest in it because I, I love that type of uh, storyline and history, and I find it super interesting how sometimes these people can get away with so much. Um, it, it, the, the the story alone was just like, yeah, it was very eye-opening to a lot of the pop culture references that we hear nowadays or we used to hear in a lot of music and people and stories and movies and film and down to the Sopranos. And I mean, I'm sure if anybody has seen documentaries when it comes to the Sopranos, you know, wise guys have frequently said, yeah, that's pretty much how they did it and how things were. And it kind of really plays true to that. Um, nature and just to hear from past wise guys talking about these stories and talking about these people and how much the FBI really did work hard but at the same time a lot of it was just 
I think, blind, stinking luck that they would trip over and all of a sudden they'd be in in the path of like, oh, wait, what are they talking about right there? And it just so happens that they were able to get a bug at the right time or in the right moment. Um, but I, I really do believe a lot of it was just, just luck. Like they just happened to be in the right place at the right time or were able to go ahead and bug the right thing at the right moment or you know, follow the right person and finally cue in on something, you know, that might have helped them in, you know, creating this case. And if you are a fan of this type of genre or this type of storytelling or even just this history, I mean, 1984 is not that long ago. That's, um, you know, I mean, that's definitely within my lifetime that these people were basically ruling and controlling the city of New York. And they really, really did. So... I have found it very fascinating. If you like that kind of stuff, then I would definitely put it on for a watch. Nice. And, uh, yeah, the title of that again was what fear city, New York versus the mafia. It's over on Netflix. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, since we're talking about documentaries, I'm curious, Yasha, you mm -hmm. uh, mentioned that you watched something called tread, which, uh, I did. first I'm curious to hear your thoughts, but, uh, when I was digging up a poster for this to use here on the show, looked at the image and I'm like, what is this about? So I did, I did a little Googling, ended up watching like a YouTube video or two. And this is something I'd never heard of. I don't know how much national attention this got back when it happened, uh, in the, I think it was the early two thousands. But uh, this this is interesting. So, I mean, you can tell the story from here. Uh, tell us about Tread. Oh, right on. Um, I was actually put onto this by one of my friends. He was telling me about this story, and I was just like, yeah, I'm all in. I, I'm definitely going to check it out. And I'll read what he, IMDb has as a definition. Pushed to his breaking point, a master welder in a small town at the foot of the Rocky Mountains quietly fortifies a bulldozer with 30 tons of concrete and steel and seeks to destroy those he believes have wronged him. This is a true story. There is actual video footages of this tank that this guy built in the middle of Colorado and literally started driving around this small town, taking buildings out and shooting things like this is not a joke this is not like oh they're elaborating it on any sort of you know sense or whatnot there's actual um cassette tapes where this man recorded how pissed off he really was there's video interviews with all the people that they say that he wronged or that that wronged him and then there is actual video foot reenactment, which I found was, was really interesting. But the actual video footages of watching this tank roll around and they legit had no way of stopping it is mind blowing. And we were all adults when this happened. And the reason that there was no national attention or what we didn't hear about it is because this happened on the 4th of June. Ronald Reagan died on the 5th and that overshadowed everything. Literally no more, no more coverage for this event that basically where this guy decimated this town because Ronald Reagan, the ex-president, passed away. Um, I yeah. may have the dates mixed up, but it was literally back to back. Destruction in a town. The very next day, Ronald Reagan dies. All the media decides to cover that. They left this to go to the, to the wayside. Hmm. This is true. This is an actual true story. And it is a quick watch. It's maybe an hour and 15, hour and 30 minutes. A bunch of interviews. 
it's just really interesting to hear how this man feels like he was really wronged and really um, taken advantage of. When by all accounts, he really did succeed in this town. Um, he bought a property for $10,000 and was able to sell it for four hundred. dollars um, But it just shows you that when a seed is planted in somebody's head and they just let it grow and fester and he really felt like he was done wrong, he snapped. He he had a great life, in my opinion, from what I interpreted of the show. He had a really nice girlfriend. He was, you know, progressing in that relationship. His business exploits were doing well for the most part, but it just seemed like every single time that he wanted to try and do something, he felt that somebody new in the town that had been there forever was basically stonewalling him. And once he got it in his head that they were doing him wrong, that was it. He legit snapped. And the amount of commitment that he took to basically buy this bulldozer, outfit it with sheets of metal and then pour concrete in between those sheets of metal. Like you fire, they were showing, they were firing like elephant guns at this thing and it was shrugging it off like it was nothing. Like it wasn't even making a dent. It was insane to the point where on the back of it where you would get on the back of a, a tractor and then climb up they were like, we couldn't even get up back there because they had greased, he had greased or put something on the outside of it. So it basically prohibited them from getting on the top. One guy was sitting on the top of it, trying to open it, couldn't figure out how to get it. When it was all said and done, I mean, is it, it was interesting. They actually had to hire somebody to come in and like have a cutter, basically cut the place, the, the pieces off to get into the inside of it. But wow. it's a super, super interesting watch. Very, very detailed documentary i enjoyed it because well one it was true it was something i had never heard of before and kind of sad that this man had you know let so much kind of fester in his life and really kind of take over his anger and hate and he he invoked god a lot when it came to like what he was about to do which which bothered me but you know sometimes people that aren't mentally well that's what they do you know he kept saying is like if if god didn't want me to do this i would be caught i would be stopped somebody would find out what i'm doing and building and stuff like that and this was all on his videotape like not videotape but his cassette tapes so this is all recorded it's a super interesting interesting watch yeah like i said <clears throat> excuse me even just seeing the poster kind of interested me and then watching the little bit i did on youtube made me interested in seeing it i wasn't aware of this documentary on netflix it's not that new it came out i think earlier this year i think back in february on netflix mm. so it's been on there for a little bit but uh if you're unaware of it that's uh tread over on netflix documentary um with that uh back to you bobby Wait, can i add something oh, yeah. can i add something one else um i'm not sure if i got a chance to talk about this but i uh did I get a chance to talk about Palm Springs? Did, did I go over that at all? Because I, I remember that I mm, watched it. And I no, watched it I don't think so. Okay, cool. Can I can I mention that real please, quick? Please. Okay, cool. So Palm Springs is basically uh, Andy Samberg, Kristen Milotti, and J.K. Simmons. And the best way to describe this is basically picture Groundhog Day, but in Palm Springs, and this is a Hulu original film. I found out that this is Hulu's most watched film so far in 2020. So it's very, very um, getting a lot of praise. And basically this guy is trapped in the same day and it just happens to be a wedding that he's trapped at and the people that he's around and it just goes through, how do they get out of that scenario? 
I don't want to give too much away here because there is a lot that comes into the story and it's very, very interesting, their interaction uh, interaction with each other and once they figure out that they're trapped there. It's, um, it's a fantastic story. It has a really nice twist on it, but it's a really, really kind of cute love story, but not super cutesy um, and funny in a dark humor sort of way. Um, and if you like adding Andy Samberg, I would definitely recommend watching it because it's it really delivers. It really, really does. Nice. And you had talked about that before, Bobby, right? Yeah, I did. Yeah. And I agree. It's 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 a, it was a good watch. And like I said, uh, at the time, anyone who's been using that premise, that Groundhog State premise, seems to have a, a good handle on it and being able to tell it in a way that's different than the last person that told mm. it and still bringing something fresh to it. Mm. And I, I think this stands in line with that as well, because I don't know, we probably have at least four or five different movies that we can point to at this point that's done that between like, you know, what was it? Edge of Tomorrow and um, this, and then there's Russian Doll on Netflix and a couple other ones. So yeah, everyone seems to be able to tell it in a way that still still seems to be um, entertaining without it feeling like, ah, this is the same premise and they're not going to be able to do it any differently or, or make it any more compelling than the three other times or four other times I've seen this kind of um, device being used, but right. everybody seems to be able to make it work for them. So this is another mm-hmm. one that I think people who have Hulu should definitely check out. Nice. Uh, all right, Michelle, you've been wanting to watch the rental for a while. Bobby, mm-hmm. you did watch it this week. <laughs> Um, I did. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts on it. Uh, it's kind of been on my radar as well, but uh, how, how was the rental? <clears throat> yeah, the rental, it's uh, marks the directorial debut of Dave Franco. Uh, he is um, also in the movie is uh, Alison Brie, Dan Stevens. Um, those are the main people I know, but the the main premise of the story is that it's these two couples, and uh, they are celebrating a, a victory, something that happened at work. Um, Dan Stevens and uh, the other character is his uh, younger brother. They're all and the younger brother and his girlfriend and Dan Stevens and his wife, played by Allison Brie. They decide to go to this rental property and uh celebrate for the weekend and they're the guy that's renting out the property something seems weird about the guy and so there's a lot that starts to happen over the course of that weekend that really kind of puts everyone at edge because of what's going on uh, around that property and i won't say much more than that because it's something that you would want to experience and see for yourself as opposed to me kind of laying it out there for you. But uh, needless to say, and suffice it to say, I I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, What I I think I enjoyed about it was it takes a, um, let me be careful here. Uh, It takes something that you typically see in I guess if you wanted to classify this as a, a thriller or sla- or type of a slasher kind of movie, which it's not, it's not like a gory kind of film or anything like that necessarily, that uh, 
you typically see those movies from a certain point of view. And I think this does a good job of um, subverting that in an in a interesting way that you don't see that often these days. And I, that's what I really appreciated about it. And the the other aspect about the film that I, w- I will say with Dave Franco in terms of his directing for the movie, I didn't notice anything particularly special about it. It, it didn't stand out in any way visually. Uh, it just seemed like a, a solid effort for his first time directing a movie. Uh, it, he was smart enough to make it something that it was in that horror kind of um, realm and so that it's not going to be a big budget kind of movie. It's going to be no special effects. So he did a a good job, a serviceable job in directing for his first time for this type of a film, which is something I would feel like is probably perfect to cut your teeth on if you're wanting to direct for the first time. And yeah, in that in that respect, I think he did a good job. And the movie itself and the story, I, I, I really found to be the, the big selling point on it for me and, and to see uh, how everything unravels. And I really did enjoy this one uh, quite a bit. Yeah. And that's on uh, VOD. You can't find it on a streaming service yet. Right. Though I, I noticed, I don't think the rental is like kind of the normal, like $20 rental, isn't it? It's not. No. It's Mm-mm. it's cheaper rental. I say normal, like the yeah, normal like in this in this day and age of things that were supposed to go mm-hmm. theatrical going straight to VOD. But yeah, right. I thought yeah, I thought I saw the same thing, six ninety nine. Yep. Yeah, and it's something that it's only maybe two weeks old at mm-hmm. this point, possibly three at most, and so you can still find it if you wanted to go uh, see it at a drive-in because I know that that's where uh, it, it made its debut and the drive-ins and so if you wanted to go on a night out and check this out at a drive-in i think it would be very suitable for that kind of purpose as well yeah. uh, based on the the type of film that it is but yeah i checked it out at home and still enjoyed it quite a bit now you I also, wanted to see that yeah now you also saw something honestly i hadn't heard of yet uh, she dies tomorrow yeah so uh, the the premise of this is interesting because it, it you know how it, it kind of uh, has a similar DNA to the movie It Follows. If you remember how with that, it was kind of like an STD being passed on past person to person, uh, a, a living entity that would kill you if, after you had sex. And this isn't that. But if you think about it in the, the term in the way that something is being passed on, that's kind of what this goes for in that uh, imagine if someone was able to put a thought into your head and then that thought manifests. And in this case, the thought is that you're going to die tomorrow. And if you're able to manifest that thought into your head, will it then come true? And it it seeks to answer that question. And if that sounds interesting to you, then I would say that the movie did a really good job in terms of making that the concept of the film, but did a poor job in terms of executing it in the film. For my taste, it's very slow and and it seems as though like there was no, hmm, there was no immediacy to the film. There was nothing to keep you um, on edge, ratcheted up. It, it just seemed like it was just 
taking its time in a pace that was just not working for me. Uh, there was be shots and scenes that lingered longer than a few seconds for no reason. It, it had no reason to linger on a, on a shot, but yet you're there for like three seconds. And three seconds doesn't sound like long, but when you're just staring at a table for three seconds and there's nothing going on with it, and then it moves to another scene, you're like, why? What was that? What was that? It had nothing to do with anything. So there's a lot of that. And just in general, uh, there's elements in it that work when when they really start getting into the, some of the idea. But um, I think that they were trying to go for something that was more esoteric in a way. It, it, I, I, I'm not as familiar with the work of David Lynch, but it seems like that would be something that he would kind of have his flair for in, in a film of this nature. But for me, it just did not work. And unfortunately it, it just seemed like the concept worked better by that very idea more so than the execution of it. So, yeah, I, I don't know that I would necessarily recommend it for people. Um, if you do want to see it, then just know that going into it, it it's pretty slow. And um, I don't know that the, the payoff was necessarily worth it to me. But, uh, yeah, that's it's, uh, one that just debuted this weekend on VOD as well. Yeah, yeah, I hadn't heard of that one. She dies mm-hmm. tomorrow. Does not get your recommendation. How is it getting it? How's it getting received uh, from most critics? Have you seen or? Because I haven't. I'm not, I was kind of curious. Which I'd be interested in. I, I think I've heard a couple critics talk about it. And um, interesting enough, it, I think the reason why I checked it out is because uh, one that you're familiar with, Dave, the slash film movie podcast. Mm-hmm. They were talking about reviewing, reviewing it for their next uh, show coming up this week. Oh, so okay. I was like, oh, let me check it out, see what it's about. And so uh, I don't know what they thought. And yeah, like I said, I didn't think too highly of it mm. in terms of the execution. Uh, there was one person that's from another one. That's the Slash Film Daily podcast, uh, Chris Evangelista. He loved it, but, mm. you know, he tends to love <laughs> certain things <laughs> his that his tastes are you know unique i will i would say but uh yeah so i didn't i didn't really care for it but i would be curious to see what the rotten tomatoes on it is i just did a quick look it's at 83 percent uh with okay. with 101 reviews not too bad actually see so most people are liking it yeah critics yeah. consensus is formally provocative and emotionally raw she Dies Tomorrow confirms writer-director Amy Symes as a filmmaker with a unique and timely vision. That's all it says. So, yeah, She Dies Tomorrow. It's a unique vision. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. I was, a fan, I was a huge fan of Mandy. Maybe I should see something like this. I think you should <laughs> see it because you might love it, honestly. <laughs> uh, it, but see, that's the thing. I like Mandy a lot. And yeah. it's weird and trippy in ways as well. But mm-hmm. this just, to me, just felt like it was too slow moving. But I don't know. I would be curious to see if you had a chance to watch it, what you would think. Because, uh, yeah, yeah, obviously a lot of critics are really liking it a lot. Well, to switch things up and speaking of things that you watched and maybe we should watch, uh, both Michelle and I this week ended up watching Host, which you talked mm-hmm. about on the last episode 
which is a, a Shutter exclusive. I guess it was produced by them. I don't, I don't know if that was something that was it's brought, an original brought film, to them. So. Yeah, but yeah, uh, you talked about it last week. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like sounded like you liked it quite a bit. Um, yeah, uh, we watched it, Michelle. What, what did you think of Host? Uh, I have to kind of echo what Bobby said. I actually really enjoyed it. I feel like. Yeah, there's jump scares in this horror film, but they were timed really well and they weren't they weren't all super predictable. It wasn't like constantly going, oh, here comes another one. Oh, here comes another one. This is going to happen behind this. It was it, it, they got me. There was definitely a few that kind of got me. Um and I think just that it's very creative the way that they did this horror movie, basically doing it all over Zoom call and you know, you have all these characters in different places and they're all going through this experience together. And yeah, no, I, I actually really enjoyed it. I thought they did a great job with it. And it, I mean, it's not like it's a very long watch. It was really quick and pretty to the point, pretty fast, which is also really nice. Like I felt like it wasn't I feel like sometimes I see horror movies or scary movies or thrillers and they'll draw it out for a long time before anything actually happens. And this jumps in pretty quick and fast. I mean probably what 15 minutes in 16 minutes in or so um which which i liked it it, it, it didn't be around the bush about what this was going to be like so yeah no i actually really enjoyed it i'm i was quite entertained uh yeah i watched it too um overall i liked it uh i thought i don't know i guess it was basically what i expected it to be um and i i i'm I like the runtime. I thought the runtime worked for it being like just under an hour. Um, you know, it's easy to feel like, I guess when you're making something like this, that it needs to maybe be an hour and a half, but, uh, this doesn't, and it, it works this runtime, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. I guess going into it, uh, maybe I was expecting something a little different from my expectations, but it basically met my expectations. And I mean, it was an enjoyable watch. Uh, I didn't think it really did anything new with the kind of found footage, you know, uh, genre. So overall, I thought it was it was pretty good, but I don't know. I didn't really think it. I wouldn't call it great by any means, but that's kind of where I'm with it. So, yeah, now I need to remember, am I going to keep Shutter or get rid of my trial? I think I still have one in my seven days now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like tomorrow. Yeah. There's a lot of good stuff on there, though. Like, there's a lot of good stuff is. on there. Yeah. Part of me is tempted to uh, just keep it. Let it go for a month yeah. and just see what, what happens. For a month. Yeah. Right. That's yeah. <laughs> that's kind of what I my normal, my initial intention was when I first got it, was just to keep it for a month and, you know, see other yeah. stuff. But then there'd be something else that would drop and I'd be like, oh, dang, I want to check this out. So I've, I've talked about a, at least two or three different things on Shutter that yeah. I've had a chance to see. So I'm like okay <laughs> i'll cancel it at some point but right now i'm still getting some value out of it yeah so no i've, no, I've noticed you've been watching some stuff on there and i'm like oh he must be <laughs> yeah. must be digging it he keeps bringing up stuff from shutter so yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, totally. that's cool i mean even before yeah. the movie they did a quick little promo of, like things on shutter and not that i could like sit here and name any of them but i remember kind of going oh that looks mm. interesting Oh, hey, that one looks kind of interesting too like i was kind of like oh mm -hmm. maybe maybe we should peruse shutter right poke around and see what we see right well while we're at it or go ahead bobby no i was just gonna say and you can watch one of the films that i, I did suggest uh on here 
uh, One Cut from the Dead, I think it was called. There's a Asian film mm. that's with zombies. I believe that's uh, on there as well. Yes, I do remember you talking about them. But yeah, uh, while we're at it, Michelle and I, uh, Michelle, we, well, last week we also talked about in our top five lists, uh, three of us ended up having Interstellar on our list. Mm-hmm. And Michelle, you had still never seen it. When I had been meaning to get you to watch it for a while, uh, it felt like a good opportunity to go, okay, we all just talked about it. I guess uh, we decided to go ahead and watch it. And I realized going into it, I'm like, wait, I you know, I own this movie. I have a Blu-ray copy of it. You talk very highly of it frequently. Yeah, but it is a long film. And I think when I started to think about it, I realized that's why I'm like, oh, wow, I've only ever seen this, I think, the one time in the movie theater. I don't think I'd ever watched this a second time. Um, so I watched it for a second time. You saw it for a first time. Uh, I am, of course, curious to know uh, what, how your next Christopher Nolan film was. How was Interstellar for you? Would you have put it in your top five last week? Yeah. So that was kind of a question I kind of had posed to myself kind of watching it and then even towards the end of the film. And yeah, I'd have to even look at my list right now. And I I feel like, yeah, I probably would have put it in there. It would have been somewhere of like five or four, I think. Um, I, I really liked the movie. I will say that. I think it's very Christopher Nolan- um, overall, like the premise of the whole thing, I think is really great and fantastic. I think the execution of it overall is really good. I felt like there was some, some laggy parts of it, which Christopher sometimes I think will start going in too deep in one corner and then he'll slowly pull back out of it. And then that's good. Like he doesn't just get lost into something, but sometimes he, he does that in his films. And there was times I was kind of like, okay, pull, pull back, Chris, like let's, let's get back to a focus. Like. And he would do that. So every time I kind of be like, he's kind of going off again, he'd, he'd come back onto line. Um, no, I think the the way the execution of the ideas it's throwing out about astrophysics and about space and everything therein that's involved with that, it all seemed extremely legitimate on the up and up. And I was like, I, I mean, I am... I'm no astrophysicist. I have no knowledge of that kind of, you know, everything and the the rules and, 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 and such to space and time. And, but you know, the way that they were conveying the information, the way it was presented and, and processed out to the, the viewer, I think was done really, really well. Um, yeah, I think visually it's quite stunning. There's, there are some scenes that are just, they're expansive and you feel very enveloped by the world that he's created in certain scenes. Um, I thought the performances were all really strong. I, I yeah, I, I mean, I really, really enjoy this movie. I'd like to watch it again. I don't know if I'll be watching it a second time relatively soon. It is kind of a longer run movie. It's definitely something that you have to start earlier in your evening if you want to go to bed at a decent time for a night that you're going to your job the next morning. It was definitely like, so it's uh, 6.30. Are we going to pop that bad boy on or not? Um, but it, it's definitely worth a watch. And, and I'd like to watch it again just to see if there's more to it than just the, the, the main stuff I was getting. Like, what's the next level of the surface to this film? What's more things I'll pick up on and, and pull in and, and, and understand even on a better level the second time. 
So that's where I'm at. Uh, and yeah, I saw it, like I said, for the second time. I mean, I talked about it last week. I'm not going to go too in depth, but uh, I'll just say I still thoroughly enjoyed the movie. If anything, I probably liked it a little more the second time around. Um, as for my top five list and its placement, I mean, especially after watching it again, you know, it's hard not to say actually it probably should be at like the two spot. Uh, you know, it, it's one of those things where I think maybe, and I love that movie Sunshine and I firmly stand behind it being in my top five. Maybe I put it a little higher just because I feel like it doesn't get enough recognition and I feel the need to like constantly go, come on guys, everyone really should watch this. <laughs> you really should give it a chance. <laughs> but in the end, is Interstellar or Sunshine a better movie? Interstellar is a better film. Um, I mean, yeah, if anything, just visually... It, mm-hmm. it it shows that Christopher Nolan and I, I don't know which cinematographer he's been working with through most of his films, but he, visually he's a mastermind. Just, yeah. that, just that alone. Uh, I mean, just the way he shoots everything, I think, is just incredibly yeah. good. Um, but uh, the movie's very good, and but I also can still see why, you know, I think it's probably like the last 30 minutes of that film. I'm not going to give any spoilers, but... Uh, you know, I, right before we get to this last part of the film that I'm not going to talk about, I was watching the film going, my God, this is a great, great movie. And then the last 30 minutes happens. And I'm not saying I don't like the way the film ends. I'm actually pretty good with the way the film ends, but it definitely, it, I feel like it immediately kind of changes your mood about the movie. Mm-hmm. Like there's something about it that like the something about the change in tone of the film like completely like puts you in a different place in the film. And then I think that's really the deciding factor of where people stand on this. And I think for a lot of people that left them going, eh, what the hell is going on there? And didn't really do it for them. Right. But uh, overall, yeah, I still really like Interstellar. So that's my big takeaway. And then uh, Bobby's going to revisit it too, I think. Yeah, I thought we kind of were all going to do that around the same time. I didn't know you guys were going to watch it this weekend. Or else I probably would have watched it oh, as well. Well, Sorry, I didn't but... know that David was going to talk about it tonight. I knew you weren't watching it until like next week. But oh, well, yeah, we, we watched it this week. I was going to talk about it tonight. My bad. Is it on <laughs> any no of the platforms? Uh, I don't know. I didn't I look know. because I had a, I owned it and had a digital copy of it as well. So we just watched it that way. I didn't look in there. You know, um, I'm curious because, as you mentioned it, I started trying to look on the IMDb to see if I could find who the cinematographer was, but I don't know exactly where that would be on the IMDb. I don't see it. It doesn't just kind of... It's always down there, unfortunately. Poor cinematographers never get all the love that they think they actually deserve. (laughs) They do a ridiculously hard job and they don't get anywhere near the love or attention that credit that I think cinematographers actually deserve in movies. Um, Yeah, so now I'm going to look too because I'm curious. Uh, Cinematography by Hoyt Van Hoytema. Okay. If I'm saying this name Hoyt. correctly, Hoyt, H-O-Y-T-E. And it does show that he's the cinematographer of when I quickly go to his IMDb on Dunkirk at mm-hmm. Astra as well. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Trying to see any other. Uh, tenant. Yep. Tenant. 
Did you say tenant? I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, tenants on there as well. Yeah. Well, I have to say, I think for me, for Chris Nolan films, um, it's not like it's low on the list of Chris Nolan films, but it's definitely not high on my list for Chris Nolan films. If I'll put it that way. So I'm, I'm not okay. saying it, it's kind of a middle of the road Chris Nolan for me. I'll put it that list. That's probably the best way I could put it. Like I don't dislike it or anything. It's just that I don't know. It, it for me, I'm kind of like. Eh. It's it's good. I feel like. I mean, you said you would put it on your top five for last week's list. So I yeah, would no, it's... for sure. I do enjoy it a lot. Like I was, I'm very happy with the film. But if I look at like Chris Nolan films and I like were to think about listing them out, yeah, I'd be around like five or six. It'd, it'd be down a little bit. Like it wouldn't be in the top three. One thing I noticed since I'd only ever seen it in the theater, and maybe for those who don't remember, this movie had similar kind of. Uh, reaction to its mix just like similar mm-hmm. to Dark Knight Rises where there was complaints that some of the dialogue was not understandable uh, mm. and I remember that in the movie theater I can remember specifically two scenes anyway where I had a problem one of them being a really key scene where the dialogue kind of really mattered <laughs> and and I remember going, I feel like I really should be able to understand what this guy's saying right now, and I couldn't. Um, watching it at home, I will say the first scene that wasn't as important, I had no problem hearing the dialogues. So I don't know if they changed the mix for Maybe the home did. video release. Now, the other scene, which it was still pretty difficult to understand, I don't think it's... Watching it again, I don't think it's so much a matter of the mix as as it is kind of the performance is what I'll say. But okay. uh, yeah, anyway, I, it does seem like maybe the mix was kind of changed maybe for home video because I just didn't notice the problems like I did in the movie theater. But that's mm. kind of a side note. Gotcha. So yeah, I was trying to look real quick to see if it was available on anything and I don't see it on any streaming service, but I do see it on... Uh, if anyone has uh, YouTube TV, it seems to be available on there for VOD. I just tried it real quick, uh, real quick, and clicked on it, and it was going to start. So, oh, um, yeah, nice. it is there. It's uh, I, I was looking as well. I found it on uh, Hulu. You can find, watch it on Hulu on demand uh, for VX. So you'll probably have to watch commercials with it. Um, if I remember correctly, it didn't have too many racy moments in the film, so I'm sure it won't yeah. be really edited. But you'll still have to watch the commercials if you wanted to watch it on Hulu VX. Oh, that would be that would be horrible to watch FX, that film. Excuse me, FX. Oh, okay, that would be uh, horrible to, okay. to watch that that way. My God, <laughs> with commercials. Commercials, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It'd be that like that would be not even just yeah, length. Exactly. I just feel like you'd really chop up the film. Like yeah. that's a film that that too no like no i mean like there's some movies that like i see on tv sometimes i'll be scrolling and i'm like i hate that this movie's on television this movie mm. you know there's some movies that kind of can get away with things with commercial breaks and stuff obviously it's been we've been doing it since the 80s but there's other films like whenever i see them on tv i'm like i can't watch this film with commercials like i just there's no way like it just ruins the film like it just takes you out Mm -hmm. of a a moment it takes you out of a feeling a sense that you have and for this film i no way no like there was one we we made one quick pause i think for like a quick bathroom break or something otherwise it was like i could tell even you michelle were like i don't want to have to stop the movie i want to keep going (laughs) keep watching this yeah Mm. um yeah, I'm with you there. 
with that, uh, Bobby, you watched a, a few other things. <laughs> so I don't mm-hmm. know if you just want to touch on some of that stuff or cover all that stuff. Let yeah, us know uh, what, what else did you watch. Absolutely. I got a chance last uh, last week. Yasha ch- talked about Umbrella Academy. So I finally got a chance to watch that this week. Um, I did not finish it. I'm four episodes <laughs> in. And what I will say is... I can understand where Yasha was coming from as far as the character developments and where it left off last season and where it's picking up this season, as well as um, the whole uh, plot, which is uh, the world's ending (laughs) and it seems to be ending again. Uh, And it's very repetitive. Uh, But I will say I I am enjoying it. Um, I think what I'm enjoying about it is that uh, even though there is that, in terms of what Yasha mentioned, the way they reset the characters is in an interesting way and in where they pick up with those characters and having to reunite those characters, I thought at least so far into the four episodes has been really, um, really interesting, uh, especially when you consider they're back in the 60s and one of the main characters is an African-American woman and it puts that, uh, that situation right up front and dealing with those race issues back then from a character who was born well into you know, the late past of the uh, 20, 21st century, I would imagine, uh, her character. And so you would think that uh, there's a lot to to be mined there for the idea of this history and what's happened, especially when there's another catalyst of something that happened around that time that uh, it's the idea of should, shouldn't we stop this other thing that's, you know, a big important part of history. So, um, yeah, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely into it. And some things have happened within this last episode that I saw that presents another little wrinkle that uh, I, I thought I could tell at least uh, not specifically where it was going. But you knew that there was going to be something with this character because, uh she seemed to be uh, really connected to another character uh, that's part of this Umbrella Academy. So I was like, okay, there has to be something there because she's, they keep showing her with this other character a lot. Uh, and then that kind of gets uh, played out a little bit in terms of uh, what what's going on with her. And I haven't seen further beyond that. But um, I am absolutely intrigued and and into the second season and really ready to see how it all kind of connects and goes forward and where they really where they leave it off at to see where they would go with the third season because i know they can't well i was gonna say i know they can't just repeat that same concept again of the world ending but i don't know who's to say maybe they can't (laughs) seem to uh get it to stick to where they save the the world so maybe that is the whole uh conceit of the series is continuously trying to stop the end of the world but i don't know that so uh yeah i'm looking forward to finishing off the season and hopefully i'll be able to report back on that by next week because i think there's 12 or 13 episodes so it's not as easy to fly through it for me when it's like that but i will try and finish it by next time we record so i can have a full report on that quite quite a goal you have there (laughs) <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, like, they're yeah. long episodes, so it's like, you, if you said you only saw yeah, four, no. you still have a ways to go, for sure. You got got a good mm-hmm. good amount to mm-hmm. do, plus all the other Definitely. stuff you're going to watch. 
Well, I don't know how much else is there to watch. I seem to have watched a lot of it this, well, there's, this week. There's know. that three and a half hour Nolan movie you got to watch. Uh, yeah. The, okay. My movie stuff. Yeah. 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 I, I, but I can fit some of that stuff in during the week. So yeah. it's not like I have to save it for the weekend, but I think right. I'll have enough time. It's trying to finish this, honestly, will, will be the biggest task. Right. Uh, what's next? Well, I want to I, see um, if Yasha had, had a chance uh, okay. to finish it because. Yeah, that's actually what I wanted to weigh in on is I actually did get a chance to finish it. I stuck with it and I finished the Umbrella Academy and it got um, exponentially better than oh. how it first mm. started. Good to hear. Um, I did like how it finished to the point where I will definitely watch the third season. I am interested to see where it goes. I stand by what I was complaining about when we first started watching it, when I first started watching it, nothing. It was the same story that they were just regurgitating and putting on top of us. And I didn't like how, how it started probably for the first four or five episodes. I felt that it was the same story that we were watching the first time, no real character development aside from, you know, you pointing out some of the stuff like, you know, putting the black woman back in the sixties and some of the events and stuff that they had to, um, deal with and transpire and figure out how they're going to address some of these situations back then. But I didn't feel like the character development was very strong uh, till about maybe towards the last two or three episodes in the, in the show um, when it really started to make strides. And I felt like it was a very long drawn out way to push us into next season. And I'm super interested to see how it goes and where they go with it for next season. So if hopefully it gets renewed for another season, but I definitely uh, finished it and I did, um, I did like it probably on a scale of one to 10, I would give it a six and a half, maybe seven. So strong enough to watch and strong enough to refer. But um, the first season by far is the stronger season in my opinion. Second season starts off very weak and um, I'm hopeful, hopefully we get a third because I'm definitely interested to see where this goes and, uh, what happens, and I'm not going to give any spoilers if you haven't finished it. Cool. All right. That's the Umbrella Academy Season 2. Bobby, what else you got? So, yeah, last week I talked about how I wanted to continue to watch some things that I haven't seen, and uh, I even, I believe, mentioned it on, on the show as opposed to uh, off-air that my task for this week was going to be to watch Die Hard with a Vengeance because I had not seen that. And uh, I mean, I think the reason why I didn't watch it back in the day is I, I feel like I heard bad things about it. Um, and it's quite possible. I don't recall at this point how reaction was to it specifically at the time, but I feel like it was not received that well. And I think maybe if that was the case and that was what put me off, it may have been a, a matter of at that time coming off the first two movies um, and then doing this, either maybe people felt it was more of the same or um, it just didn't feel specifically like Die Hard because, you know, um, the first movie is as they've sort of coined that phrasing for movies, it was die hard in a building. And then the second one is die hard in an airport. And then this third one is kind of like die hard open world. <laughs> Cause you can, they're like, it's not contained to one place. So um, maybe that was something that people didn't necessarily like in, in, in the initial time that it came out. But me watching it, 
I, I, I liked it quite a bit. Um, yeah, I, I, for me, it, it really felt like Die Hard because, uh, well, one, <laughs> Bruce Willis still has his hair. And so it's like he still feels like John McClane and he still acts like John McClane because he's still kind of cracking jokes and being silly, but still has that maintains that that figure that he has in that time. And so he really felt like the character that I remembered and the the movie, it it it. I mean, it really starts and kicks in within the like first five, six minutes of the movie, if not, if not sooner. And, and it just starts going from there. It doesn't like you know, slow down really. So, but I, I thought that was a positive of it. And uh, the, the whole conceit of it, it, it's good that the movie's as old as it is, because it's not like I'm spoiling anything for anybody, but the idea that uh, this Hans Gruber's brother is the the villain for this movie i thought worked but in 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 a way that was cool was that it wasn't just on some revenge type thing it was actually uh sort of a front to use to keep him busy to be able to do other things while he was trying to go for that gold so I, i thought that was really good as well and just the way he was one step ahead in in terms of doing everything and laying everything out and had them running all over the place for no reason and yeah man i i really enjoyed it a lot it just felt like it 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 felt good to see a movie i keep wanting to say it feels like an old like 80s 90s movie but it actually is an old you know movie of that time so it's a product of its time but it felt good seeing that today because there's not many movies that are like that and feel like that so uh i i had a a really good time i had a blast watching it really i mean i'm glad that uh it's weird because it, it sounds weird to say this, but I'm glad I waited so long to see it because there's not many movies like that. And so to have seen it now, it felt good uh, seeing it now um, because I could appreciate it more because there isn't that kind of feel and seeing Bruce Willis in his prime uh, John McClane days uh, felt good because anything after that, it, it he does feel different to me. He doesn't quite feel like the John McClane in the first three movies so uh seeing this really felt like i'm seeing him still back in those good old days and i enjoyed it a lot i'm glad i finally got a chance to see it nice well he probably still was um excited about playing these roles and was still interested (laughs) and still happy to do it and wasn't you know viciously bitter about his own success for whatever the fuck reason but (laughs) um yeah i mean when you watch that movie it's just like i mean it yeah, you, you really do feel the magic of um, Die Hard. Like, yeah. I always felt like I was like the first one's the best. The third one is right right behind it, and I actually like the one with Justin Long in it too. I just watched that recently again too. Uh, um, Live Free or Die Hard, I think is what it was. Yeah, uh, it was the fourth one. I mean, while it was over the top and it was an extreme, but it was like I still found that one to be a uh, lot the, of fun. And the fourth one does over the top well. It, it mm-hmm. kind of owns it. And yes, I, yeah, I like the fourth one as well. I'm with you. Yeah, the fourth one as well. The second one was okay. It was what it was. I, I just I felt like they were just like, oh, we got to capitalize on this, so let's just throw this out there. Right. 
But the third one with Samuel Jackson adding another element, adding another character and another personality that he can bounce his mind off of and, and deal with and whatnot, I thought that was fantastic. And I'm not even going to mention the one with his son because that was just a fucking travesty. I almost walked out of the theater <laughs> while I was watching that. I haven't even seen that one. Yeah. But I guess, I don't know. No, maybe, don't maybe I need to watch Die Hard 3 again because listening to you guys talk about it, I will say I don't have fond memories of that movie. Like, I don't remember particularly liking it uh but it's been so long that i because i think maybe i saw it the one time and that was it because i didn't care for the movie like i feel like if i watched it now it'd be almost like watching it for the first time so maybe maybe i need to revisit it i can kind of see what you're saying i can see what you're saying bobby in terms of you being glad that you waited to watch it because it's like yeah, it would be cool right now to be able to go back and find a, like a Schwarzenegger film that I haven't seen, but I've seen them all, so I don't, mm-hmm. I can't do that. Right? <laughs> like, you know, since you didn't get to see it, it'd it's be like, like you watching True Lies for the first time right, now, right? You know, not mm. having seen it back when it came out, <laughs> exactly. It'd be like a hidden gem for you kind of thing. No, yeah. I, I'd be curious. Talk about doing over the top, well, right? Yeah. Yeah, uh, doing over the top it's not like you can go back in time and watch Die Hard back when it came out, but yeah, right. it'd, it'd be fascinating to s- if there was a way to see like what you would think with that experience back versus then. this experience. You know, it seems like this mm-hmm. experience was m- a lot, mostly like a nostalgia kind of experience for you. I, I would say I've, so. I don't yeah. think I've ever even seen the third one. Hmm. Okay. So, yeah. Really? I don't think I have. Mm-hmm. Could be. Um, I might have the same experience yeah. Bobby has and be like, man, where's this bad boy been? <laughs> right. it's, a, it's a fun It is a fun movie. Am I not? Now I gotta go watch it. <laughs> There's only one thing that I would complain about in that film. Well, maybe two. Uh, but I, one of it is a character decision in terms of uh, Samuel Jackson's character. Uh, but aside from that, again, I guess that's not really spoiling anything but just how much they um how much race plays a, a role in into it a lot in it and i thought mm-hmm. it was like oh, okay i get it yeah. um but there was a a bit of musical piece that was being played when there's the uh the the them breaking into the 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 reserve uh and I can't remember the name of the song, but it's an old song that everyone knows. Kind of one of those Civil War type songs. Uh, I think it's the one that's. Oh, like eighteen twelve. The Saints are coming in. Oh, I think it's that. Things go marching in. I think it is that, but it, it played for so long, and then it brought bring it back again later in the film. So it seems Ugh. like why, why? Right. And, and I don't even really understand why that piece of music was chosen in in general. But um, yeah, they went back to it, and I was like, oh, they seem to be dipping into this one for quite some time. And I don't know, I just I didn't feel it. I thought it was nice for a little bit, but then I was like, wow, this is really stretching on for a little bit but aside from those little things uh yeah i really thoroughly enjoyed it cool i think the song is when johnny comes marching home that's i was gonna say it's not marching in it's yeah marching home loosely based on johan brahms symphony number one's first movement yeah there it is there you go 
And anything else? Yeah, Bobby? it's on the tip of all of our tongues. <laughs> we all know. <laughs> right. uh, yeah, so um, there's this other movie that's uh, out on Amazon Prime uh, available if you have that called The Vast of Night. And mm. the, the oh, Michelle, have you heard of this one? I have yeah, heard of this we one. Have, we actually talked about it here on the podcast. You did? I, yeah. What? I don't remember you guys talking about this. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah we talked about this one. But I'll please go, go back in. Uh, no, well, I'll have to go back and like uh, see so, what you guys right? thought about it. Because honestly, I don't recall. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying you did, but I just don't recall it. Uh, yeah, so the basic premise is that um, there's this young high school girl who works a switchboard operator uh, operating system and um, uh, a younger guy, uh, an, an older guy, I think, that works uh, as a DJ at a radio station. And one night they hear, uh, oh, I guess I do kind of remember. And as I'm saying it, for some reason, I kind of remember <laughs> now it's clicking. saying something about Calming it. A little sense. bit, a little bit. Yeah, um, that they hear like this signal that comes across and um, that they are kind of like intrigued by and it really starts to get their um, investigative juices flowing, I guess. And so they kind of pair up and figure out where this signal is coming from and uh, what's the well, what's the origin of it. And process, they are, they're talking to um other people who maybe have experienced this sound as well. And uh, it unfolds in an interesting way. I, I liked it. I'll, I'll say that. Um, but I felt like the first, I don't know, 20 minutes, there's not much going on. It felt very, um, I don't know how to describe it in the first 20 minutes or so, but it's, it's partly set up, but the way it's done, I, I did kind of find a little creative because of the way the camera moves uh, throughout all of that and the way that the the main uh, male character has such a sort of a, a dynamic way of speaking that's kind of like, I don't know, uh, he's clever, but he speaks in a way that you'd almost have to, it's almost... <laughs> It's almost a little Aaron Sorkin-y in a way that he talks because he's talking. I wouldn't say necessarily fast, but he's talking in such a way that I was like, hey, like, do people really talk like this? Because he's very uh, quick on the on the uptake in terms of how he's talking. But uh, and it's so many moving parts in that first 20 minutes. But I was like, well, where is this going? Where, where are we headed? And then once, you know, you, you hear that signal, it all kind of clicks in. And then, of course, my favorite uh, type of genre is always something that feels sort of twilight zony, and this has that feel. And so I think that's what made me really enjoy it once it gets into that uh, that realm, and then it starts to tell that story, and you start going along with these characters as they're trying to piece it all together, and you you kind of get taken along for that ride. And I was all in, and the way it ends, I thought was. Um, yeah, perfect for that that type of uh, <laughs> that story. So that's all I'll say. But yeah, I did like it. So now I'm kind of curious, although I can now remember you guys talking about it. I can't remember what you thought about it. I mean, I'll say really quick. I, I liked it. It sounds like probably about as much as you did. I enjoyed it. I mean, I didn't, okay. didn't think it was amazing. Uh, right. Maybe there is an aspect of the very end of the film. I think the film could have done without. But uh, other than that, I. I really like the movie. 
And the opening, I get what you're saying, though, it was interesting. And I don't know if it was done for real. I was trying to just Google it. But I mean, I re- if I had remembered correctly, the, the beginning of the film seems to feature a really long single take. Um, yeah. That, yeah. And I mean, that's I, why I was saying it was interesting the way it was shot. Looking at it now, I mean, it looks like it was like a four minute, 15 second, second take. Um, and I mean, I'm not reading this article right now as we're on air, but, uh, it seems like they shot it for real, but maybe there was some, some trickery about the take. Some I don't know. Camera trickery. Yeah. Mm. But, uh, overall I liked it, Michelle. Yeah. I remember enjoying it. I remember kind of having some issues with the ending, but overall really liking it. And yeah, that first, the beginning of the movie, I think is really set up. It's really trying to get you emotionally invested into, um, the the era that it's taking place in but also just for you to understand the small town aspect that they're they're in like you really need to understand like they're they're really out there they're really in a very tiny 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 little town things are spread apart yet still close to each other like it's a very small knit community and i think it's really trying to capture that and get you to to go, okay, I got it. Like, mm-hmm. this all makes sense. Like, that's why the feel... And I think that it's just... It's really trying to capture a feeling so that as the movie progresses, you understand so many more of the motives to the main characters and what they do and why they do it and how they do things. So... Mm-hmm. But yeah, no. I, I do remember enjoying it. I, it just... It, it was very, like... It felt like an art school film kind of a film. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, right, yeah. but I, but I like that. Like it was, it was nice. It, it reminded me like of a film that I would have seen in college. People would have been like, Hey, 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 the, the art, <laughs> the art school, you know, like in the next yeah. city over or whatever, like they're doing a night, there's going to be three movies. We're going to go, we're going to sit and just watch the three movies. And it feels like that's one of the movies I would have seen like doing that kind of thing. And I know that this movie initially got a drive-in theater release as well. That would have been sweet. Um, which <laughs> oh, okay. wasn't planned until yeah. COVID happened. And though it seems like this movie is almost perfectly suited for that kind of yeah, experience. For sure. Yeah. So, yeah. The Vast of Night on Amazon Prime. And you had, uh, what, one last thing, right, Pommy? Yeah. Uh, actually, uh, there was two other things okay. or one last thing and then one more thing <laughs> um and i'll say real quickly about this other thing is i, I had a chance to check out uh black is king uh, the beyonce mm. movie thing ish on uh disney plus oh i'm curious to hear about think, this so i think i may have said before that i'm not the biggest uh beyonce fan i don't dislike her I just have never really gravitated to her music. Uh, I liked her and uh, her stuff when she was in Destiny's Child, but as a solo artist, I've never really had a um, a major connection to her and her stuff. But uh, mm-hmm. this was this project that she did that I, I think was done around the same time that The Lion King was done. And what it does is it kind of takes snippets of uh, dialogue from The Lion King and places it around sort of a visual uh, telling of that story in a, not a straightforward way, but in a way that uh, is kind of based around people maybe in Africa and uh, telling it in a way that uh, would, would be like their story, their, their, their uh, culture, and also framed around Beyonce's music as well. And uh, she did direct it, and there's a co-director as well. And 
I will say that um, visually it looks really good. Uh, there's lots of colors, lots of uh, different dances and representing a lot of different type of people from this African culture. And I think it, that gets expressed really well. But I think that also along those lines, um, you may need to be a Beyonce fan to a certain degree to enjoy the other aspects of it, which might be the music and, and some of the other um, things that she represents. And while I didn't uh, take anything negative to that, uh, it didn't move me uh, in that way. Uh, the visuals, I think, did more for me than her addition of her her music to it. Um, it wasn't distracting in any sort of way, and it wasn't a negative in any sort of way. It just didn't uh, tie together in with the other stuff going on visually for me as uh, just the visuals did. So if it was just a story being told in that kind of way with maybe just some um, some background music as opposed to her actual music, maybe it would have worked more fully for me. But uh, yeah, I guess it's worth the shot in terms of watching it if you have Disney Plus and if you're a Beyonce fan, I imagine you'd probably love it a lot. Um, I came away thinking, yeah, okay, that was interesting. Um, I didn't have any negative connotation towards it or anything, but I don't think it pulled me in the, the maybe the way that uh, someone else might get pulled in if they're a fan of Beyonce. And uh, going to that last thing that I did say I, I had a chance to watch was this uh, documentary on Netflix called The Speed Cubers. And hmm. I don't know, have you guys had any um, relation with the... Because I know we're all around that same age and have that mm -hmm. same point of reference. And were you guys ever enthralled by the Rubik's Cube? I, I'm curious because I, I know I had my time with it, and I I'll, I will honestly admit and say I never figured out a Rubik's cube. I was never able to get it all sides match, and I maybe have gotten two sides matching out of the, yeah. the all the sides. So I I can say definitively that I suck at Rubik's cube. But I don't know have you guys ever had it, that experience and solved it no i'm even? with i'm with you i don't think i've ever solved one no i never solved you it I, I think i'm with you bobby like I, I think i remember solving the yellow and either the green or the blue side and getting two sides okay. at one time and right. that was yeah it like and that was like <laughs> i remember it was such a success because it was always like you get most of the side and then you always have one effing square that would take you another four weeks and you're like mother of god right. just let right. me uh, and I remember I, it's like, yeah, I remember getting the two sides and being like, I, I can't, I'm done. Like, it's over. <laughs> yeah. All right. I wasn't proud with it. And Bobby, I will actually uh, attest. I, I watched the Speed Cubers as well. I oh. forgot. To oh, okay. That. that was another documentary I watched. Okay. All right. So, yeah. Never uh, been the, able to the, solve one. That's for sure. Uh, Never. Yeah. Never been able to solve one. <laughs> yeah. It's incredibly hard. And I didn't know this whole thing existed. So what the Speed Cubers is, is it's telling this story about this young, younger guy. His name is Max and he's autistic. But uh, early on in his childhood development, he his mom tried to get him interested in certain things and different activities. And one day she had a Rubik's Cube and uh, she brought it home and watched YouTube videos on how to solve it and walked him through it. And then 
he picked it up one day and, and then a, that became his thing. He, he was able to start to express himself through being able to uh, uh, solve Rubik's Cubes and go into different competitions. And there's this whole big competition that there is for Rubik's Cube. And it's not just the, the I think it's called the three by three. That's the main one. That's like the, 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 the one that every, everybody wants to win. But I'm sure you all have maybe seen that there's more than the three by three in, mm -hmm. in terms of a Rubik's Cube. There's mm -hmm. other ones. And those are uh, nice to win. But the one that everybody wants to win is the three by three. So he goes into these competitions and he has this other guy who's been doing this for a little while, who's older than him. And his name is uh, Felix. And he has been the world champion and has all these records that he's set. And it really becomes about their friendship in that uh, you would think that one guy going after another's records and trying to beat this guy, that there'd be this intense rivalry. But it's not. It's this real uh, kind of friendship that they formed through this. And you see Max's journey as he's trying to uh, get better and better and, and getting these records. And uh, there it builds up to this world uh, championship that uh, in past, the Felix um, guy, he had been winning prior. And now um, at this point, Max is at, at, at a level where he's really good. And so it's like, okay, who's gonna win this thing? And uh, I think it was a really heartwarming story and sheds light on, on the idea of that uh, with the autism, there's, there's this level of uh, understanding and patience that comes along with having a kid like that because you see the parents and they're talking about having this kid and you know there's not necessarily a, a rule book uh, on how to deal with a child in general per se but definitely not one if there's your kid turns out to be autistic and so how's that for a parent what what happens to them and their thoughts in terms of how do you go about um, trying to raise this child that you don't know how to connect with them in that way. And it tells this whole sort of beautiful kind of heartwarming story that I, I really found to be charming and, and nice to see. And, uh, you know, not the typical kind of uh, at your at your throat kind of competition. And it was just such a cool thing. And the, the speed at which they these guys and others do these uh, Rubik's Cube is amazing and it comes down to these algorithms and knowing the algorithms and recognizing patterns and there being like 300 different algorithms or more to be able to solve these cubes and it's 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 pretty crazy but uh yeah i really enjoyed the the docu documentary on it so uh what, yasha what do you think i mean hell bobby what can i add really to that i mean um yeah, it was it was a fantastic, fantastic show. It's not even long. It's like forty five yeah. minutes, I think. Yeah, maybe forty minutes. I, I don't know. But it like when it was over I thought there was another episode because it was so quick it was so quick to watch. But it was very heartwarming. It was very sweet. It was interesting. And I, I mean I, I really enjoyed it. And yeah, it's just mind blowingly fascinating to watch some of these people just be able to do this. And not just do it, but with one, but, you know, do it with like eight colors on or eight squares on each side. And they're doing that, the eight by eights, I guess, or whatever, or to warm up their hands 
by doing two puzzles at once. Like it, it was brilliant. Crazy. Brilliant. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Very interesting to watch that go down. Like it, it was just a really, really good show. Nice. And that's the Speed Cubers over on Netflix. We all watched some content this week. We watched some stuff this week. <laughs> Dang. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I think that does it. Is there anything else anyone forgot that they watched? <laughs> no, Nothing no. else? No. Mm. Uh, so we didn't do a top five this week. We will do one next episode. Uh, I know it's my turn to to come up with a list uh and i have so i mean since we didn't do one this week i'll go ahead and mention it i decided to uh we should list our top five sequels that are better than the original um yeah i mean there's already two that are going to be on there that better be on there for everybody yeah that <laughs> it's just a matter of like where you rank right, them right but, so did i, I pick mean, too I easy of a list is that what you're telling me Easily, yeah, easily too, too right away. Like, no, not so much as easy, but easy in the sense of like maybe the content, but not necessarily the um, the selection. Like, because it's not that like this is a huge, huge category that right. you can pull from. Mm. You know, like some of the other stuff we've had, like top five all overall comic book movies. Like that that's that spans decades. You know, like not just the mm. MCU, but that spans decades. But this is like a very finite selection of films. So it's just a matter of where we're going to put the Dark Knight and Godfather too. Like, let's just say it, okay? Where are you going to put those on the list? Because, like, let's be real; those have to be on the list at some point or somewhere. I will. Well, this we can debate you know that. This really is what will make the list out. interesting, Yasha. Is that you started this off by saying we all know there's two movies that we're all going to have a list. Those two movies, not the two I thought you were going to say. That's what I was just <laughs> thinking. Those are not the two films I was thinking at all. Yeah. As soon as I said that, I thought that you guys might. I thought that might be it. So, like, I'm, I'm interested to know what the two that you think that you thought I was going to say. Like, those aren't even. Yeah, those aren't, yeah, I didn't even think of those two. <laughs> Super seems not to the be, first Because when you said it, when you said it, I, I my mind went to the immediate two that I thought, and that's almost considered universally as the yeah. two that are better than the originals. I think that's originals. where mine are. Hmm. Now I'm curious. Yeah. I, yeah. Well, like, and Bobby, what you're saying, I have to, I have to imagine I know one of them absolutely for sure. But the other one, I, I'm like, hmm, I'm wondering if I think I know what other one he's thinking, but I, I don't know that for sure. Oh, I can, I can think of actually, I can think of like a couple of others right off the top of my head, but those are the first two movies that popped into my head. So, hmm. I'm not going to give it away anymore on my list. All right. <laughs> well, we know two out of your five. Yeah. <laughs> Somewhere on there. Right. All right. Well, with that, we are going to wrap things up. Um, as always, we'd love to hear back from everyone listening and watching. If you are watching us here on YouTube, you can, uh, well, comment down below. Uh, we also invite you to like and subscribe by hitting the thumbs up and subscribe buttons down below and make sure to hit that bell icon to be notified when we post any videos or go live again in the future. Uh, you can also email us at feedback at flickereffect.com. We are on Instagram and Twitter at flicker underscore effect. Uh, reach out to us, talk to us, let us know what you think of the show, write your questions and comments. We might read them here on the air. With that, I'm David Lott. I'm Bobby Jackson. 
I'm Yasha Wilson. I'm Michelle Hillard. Thanks for watching and listening.